0: appreciate in the off-toward prayer pat thanking the lord for last sunday's and gathering offering i didn't say anything about it because i figured most of you were there for last sunday night but maybe some of you weren't maybe some of you haven't heard but uh last sunday morning we gave uh, three hundred and ninety two thousand forty four dollars and thirteen cents to the building program uh, we've since gotten more in this week i don't know exactly how much uh, you'll know that later we also got a call yesterday of another gift that's coming they thought it was today and they were trying to get it here today because they're out of town and uh, they'll it'll come in this week or next Sunday or something so a lot of uh, a lot of excitement about that and we thank the Lord for that he is in control and that is a tremendous offering for one Sunday toward that so we thank the Lord for it also had a couple of people ask me this morning why uh, why these books are here they've been here for several weeks and these glasses laying on top of them well, this is my idea of decoration. I just wanted you to know that. Um, Rosemary does a beautiful job of decorating for Christmas and everything, but I decorate with books. And these glasses belong to somebody. I have no idea who, but they were laying on this table uh, for a couple of Sundays, just laying there, and I thought, well, they just look lonely and out of place. They need to be over some books. They need to be books under them. So I got a couple of uh, Charles Spurgeon's uh, Sermon notes from Ecclesiastes to Malachi, and then from I think the Gospels, and thought, well, that would look nice here. So, this is my idea of decoration. Uh, When we first got married, uh, we'd been married about, I don't know, 10 or 12, 15 years, and we were showing some friends through the church where I pastored in Stone Mountain, and we went into my library, and my uh, one of the, I don't know if the guy or the lady, one of them said, Wow, look at all these books. And Retta's comment was, yes, most couples get married and buy furniture. We got married and bought books. But uh, we bought some furniture since then. But uh, at that point, we hadn't bought much furniture. So that's why the books are here. And if those are your glasses, I'm sorry, but they are now part of the decoration and they can't be moved. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the first chapter of Matthew. Now, we have been in Matthew for the last 40 weeks or so. As we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and moved through chapters 5, 6, and 7. But today we're going to come and and come back to the first of Matthew to think about Advent a little bit. And today I'm going to bring a message and and talk to you a little bit about the first 17 verses of Matthew, which are, or which is a, um, a genealogy. Now, be honest. Is there anything more boring than a genealogy? I mean, you know, when you get to those genealogies in the scripture, you just say, Oh, I know, son ob, uh, begat, whatever, and jump on over it to something a little easier. Well, even pastors will tend to do that sometime. But about, oh, I don't know, when we were in seminary, so this was back in the 70s, or the late 1970s, when we were in Fort Worth. Occasionally, Red and I would, would go to our church on Sunday morning, the early service, and then we would slip over to Dallas, and we would attend a church uh, called Believer's Chapel, where a man named S. Lewis Johnson, Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, was the pastor. Dr. Johnson's with the Lord now. But in my estimation, S. Lewis Johnson was the finest expositor that has ever lived in the United States. I mean, he is just, he's, he's still one of my heroes as he has gone on to be with the Lord, but he still speaks even though dead. But one Sunday, we went over there. We didn't call to see what he was preaching on or anything, but he was in a series, I believe it was in Genesis. And when we got there, he was in a begat passage. And I went, oh, man, we have driven 45 miles we have rushed and, and hurried to our church and come on over here, and he's going to preach on a genealogy. When I left that service that morning, I was thanking God that he had preached on a genealogy. He brought out truth about the, 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 the story of redemption and the, the redemption story from the Old Testament that I just was awed by because of it. Now, I don't know that you'll leave here awed by this sermon this morning. All right? I'm not trying to build this one up, where Dr. Johnson was. But I hope you will see that this genealogy tells us a lot about Christ. We have four Gospels. You probably knew that. But we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four Gospels all, to some degree, start out in the earthly ministry of Christ talking about John the Baptist. They talk about the pre-runner, the one who came before Christ. And they they talk about his ministry and how he's pointing to Christ and how he says that Christ must increase and he must decrease and and all of that. All the Gospels tend to get that. But all four of them have a different starting point when it comes before John the Baptist. You've got Matthew here. He gives us a genealogy. And we'll look at that in a moment. You've got Luke who gives us a genealogy. And if you read those two genealogies, you'll see they're quite different in some ways. Then you've got Mark, who has no genealogy, no startup that goes back to the, in history, he just starts out with Jesus appearing on the scene, going to the temple, taking the book of Isaiah, and reading the prophet, and saying, today in your hearing, these words have been fulfilled. And that's the start of Mark's gospel. You've got John, who doesn't spend any time talking about the earthly genealogy of Christ, talking about the, the coming of Christ in, in, in human form. But you've got John talking about the pre-existent Christ. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all that was created was created by Him. He was in the beginning before creation was ever made. He is the eternal, pre-existent God incarnate who came to earth. I mean, John gives us this, this great cosmic genealogy that goes far beyond anything that Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark or Luke even attempt to do. He goes all the way back. But if you take the two genealogies that are there, you will find Matthew's and Luke's differ. For one thing, Luke's only has men in it. Uh, And that is the normal way of dealing with the genealogy. You you talk about he is the son of so-and-so or so-and-so begat so-and-so. And you have these long list of men because they were patriarchal and they did see that the line passed through the fathers. Matthew's genealogy is different. Matthew's genealogy has five women in it. Matthew's genealogy has adulterers in it. Matthew's genealogy has rank sinners in it. And, and you look at that and you say, how in the world can these people be in the line which is of Jesus Christ? How can they be in the line uh, of the Messiah, of the King, of the Son of God? How in the world can this go? Let me hear what I think that shows. It shows a lot of things. But one of the things it shows is the beautiful grace of God, even in the genealogy. Jesus did not come, in, in one sense, from a perfect family, earthly family. He came from a a line of people that had problems just like you and me, who had sins just like you and me. He came from a line of people that struggled with every area of life just like you and I do. And yet in that line, that line was preparing for the coming of the King, the coming of the Son of God, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What What a glorious thing that is that we can see that the grace of God is, is presented even in the genealogies. Another difference you're going to see between Matthew and Luke is that they are almost identical from Abraham to David. Now Luke goes all the way back to, to Adam, and, and Luke does it in reverse order from what Matthew does. And, and you know, this has been one of the great critical problems of, of New Testament uh, theology and New Testament research that they don't agree completely. They're, they're different from one another. And, and basically, what we see here is not a problem, but we see a, a provision that God has made. They don't contradict one another. They complement one another. From Abraham to David... You find in Luke and and Matthew almost an identical genealogy. They run parallel. But when they get to David, there's a split. When they get to David, you have Matthew saying in in verse 6, and we'll read all this in a minute. I'm just trying to avoid pronouncing all these names as long as I can. In in verse 6 of Matthew's gospel, You find Jesse was the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Okay, we know all that story. We've dealt with that before. So Matthew says that David was the father of Solomon. If you want to look over, you can just listen if you want to. If you look over in in Luke's gospel, in chapter 3, Luke gets in verse 31, and he says, the, The son of Malia, the son of Minna, the son of Matthiah, the son of Nathan, who was the son of David. You have Matthew saying, David, and then he breaks off on Solomon's line. You have Luke saying, David, and then he breaks off on Nathan's line. And now these two genealogies take two completely different courses because they are from two different sons of David. Now why is he doing that? Well, a lot of different theories have been proposed. I'm just going to tell you what I... I'm not going to go through all those theories this morning. That really would make a genealogical sermon uh, very difficult. But let me hear what I think is happening here. Matthew being the Jewish gospel, if you will. Who is writing primarily the Jewish people to say, this is the Messiah. This is the son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. This is the son of David. This is the one who has been promised from generation to generation to generation for the Jewish people. He is concentrating on the line of Joseph. And Joseph is out of the line of Solomon, the line that either did serve as king or other, otherwise if the kingship had not failed and the, the, the nation had been divided, these people would have served as king. Matthew is showing the royal nature of Christ's heritage. He's showing that he is the son of David who is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. I mean, it's a, a glorious thing. Matthew, uh, Luke on the other hand, is showing the lineage of Mary. Mary's family. Now, that's unusual to do that in in one sense because th- they didn't worry about the lineage of the women perhaps in that day as much as we might today even. But he's showing that Mary and Joseph in one sense are distant 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 cousins. They all came from the two sons of David. Joseph came from Solomon, Mary came from Nathan. And so from David on in these genealogies, you have a separation of of discussion of people. They're they're totally different. Not a contradiction, but a complement to one another. Complementarian view of one another. Now I want you to listen to this. And I want you to just listen carefully for names that you know and that you see here. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of... Don't you love this? That's why I want Scott to stay here. He's my English major. I learned by see-say method of reading. He learned by phonics. Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Solomon. Uh, Excuse me, Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Uh, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asa. And Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uriza. Uraza the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Ammon. And Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconah became the father of Shechetiel, and Shechetiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abahud, and Abahud the father of Elohim, and Elohim the father of Azor, and Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, whom is called the Messiah. So all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, fourteen generations. This genealogy is the Word of God. Paul told us when he wrote to Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for our instruction, for our correction, for our edification. And even the genealogies say a lot to us. I want to start at the end almost, and then go back to the first verse. But I want you to see in verse 16 a very significant statement there. Jacob was the father of Joseph, and Joseph was the father of Jesus. Is that what it says? No. doesn't say that at all. Because in the natural sense of the word, Joseph was not the father of Jesus. At best, we would refer to Joseph as Jesus' stepfather. He raised him. He was the carpenter shop where Jesus grew up. His was the carpenter shop where he grew up. Joseph was there to nurture him and to care for him and to love him and to be with him and his mother Mary. But Joseph was not the father of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the father of Jesus. God, the father, is the father of Jesus. And we'll see next week as we look at that next section on the conception the birth of Jesus that Joseph was as shocked as anybody... he found out that Mary was with child. They had not had relations. They had not had a a marital situation as of yet. And so when when she showed up pregnant and with child, he, he probably thought just like everybody else until he was told by God himself, by an angel of the Lord, that this was okay. That the one that resided in her womb was not by sin and was not by by natural means, but it was by the supernatural work of an all-holy God who has now conceived a child within Mary so that the Son of God might be born and the Messiah might come. And Matthew is very clear about that. He wants us to understand, Joseph is not the father of Jesus who is called Messiah, who is called the Christ. It would have been easy for Matthew just to have said. And Joseph was the father of Jesus, but that would have been incorrect. And the Holy Spirit directing Matthew to write this gospel says, this is the truth, this is the reality, this is who Jesus is. He is different in his conception from any other person that has ever come on the face of the earth. Matthew is wanting to show that by showing all of this beautiful genealogy, all of, this, of these 14 generations and then 14 generations and then 14 generations and drawing it all back to who Jesus is. And he comes to that point and he says, But Joseph is the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Even in that one little verse, in that one little statement, Jesus is not the son of Joseph, Matthew says. He is the son of God. If you go back to the first, and I'm not going to recount all of these because I don't have time to deal with every single situation and every single person here, but there's several things I want you to see that are very, very important. First of all, in verse 1, Matthew gives Jesus three titles. Three titles. He says, and if you're reading from King James Version or, or some of the older versions, it will say there in verse 1 that this is the record or, or this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The New American Standard just kind of broke that down because a lot of people, you know, even today, it's amazed me, even in our churches, a lot of people see the name Jesus Christ and they just assume that's his name. You know, Jesus is his given name and, and Christ is, is his family name. And so they just assume like Bill Haynes is my name because my parents gave me Bill, but their name was Haynes, and so it just, they just assumed, well, that's, that's his name, Jesus Christ. That is not his name. When we say the word Je- the two words Jesus Christ together, we must understand and we must be clear that we are talking about the name and a title. We're talking about his name and his office. He is Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph on the earthly sense, but he is also and he is most Clearly understood as the the Messiah, the promised one. Even his name Jesus is derived from a Hebrew word that literally just means uh, comes from the root of to be. It's very similar in its in its etymology. If you go back to the to the Hebrew of it, it's very similar to the I am that comes out Jehovah or Yahweh. It's tied in all the way back to just to be, and, and we know that it's the Hebrew it's the uh, uh, Greek word of, of, jo, of jo, uh, Joshua which means God will save or oh God save. God save your people. That is even his very given name points us to his ministry but that title Christ tells us that he is one of a kind he is unique in every sense and what we celebrate at Advent is celebrating something that had never happened before and will never happen again. It's something that is so unique in human history that it meant God himself taking on human flesh, as John will say in his gospel in chapter 1, and dwelling or tabernacling or living among us that we might see him. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus Christ, one and the same. The second title Matthew gives him is Son of David. He is royally the Son of David. He has the legal right to the throne of Israel. That's what that means. All the prophecy said, and, and in the future a son of David will rise up and a son of David will take the throne of David. And, and Peter even says on the day of Pentecost that in the resurrection Jesus Christ is now seated on the throne of David. Did you realize that? You know, we talk about a lot of times, and maybe our eschatology gets a little confused, that there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to be seated on the throne of David. Well, we might see him seated on the throne of David one day. We might come to, as a whole earth to acknowledge him as seated on the throne of David. But when he came forth out of that grave, raised from the dead after three days after his crucifixion, he came forth... Peter says he is now enthroned. He is now sitting on the throne of David. That was his royal coronation, was his resurrection. And that's to be rejoiced about. That's to be celebrated. That's to be be confident in. This one is the son of David. He is already established as king. He's in the right kingly line. But he's also the son of Abraham. Son of David only related, as the people thought in Matthew's day, to the Jews. Okay, that's good. He's the son of David. He has the rightful, legal heir to the throne of David. That's good. But then Matthew says, and he's the son of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. Well, the Jews would say, well, that's great. Abraham is, hey, he's the father of our faith. Certainly Abraham fits in there. He's, he's good. But, but you've got to understand that in the, being the son of Abraham, it's more than just a Jewish thing. It's more than just an Israel thing. And being the son of Abraham, it goes back to that promise where it says, and your seed will be a blessing to the nations. There's a universality in the understanding of son of Abraham. That this one Jesus who came has come in order to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then you come to the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, that describes the scene in heaven. And John sees there and hears the voice saying, and out of every nation and tongue and tribe, God is calling a people to himself. That's because he's the son of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham will be a blessing. We talked about that some earlier. It's not the seeds of Abraham. It's the seed of Abraham. We are not the seeds of Abraham. We are the recipients of the blessings of the seed of Abraham and we are the sons of God by adoption because of his work. But the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ the Messiah that takes the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why we go to Peru and adopt villages in the Andes mountains because he's the son of Abraham. That's why every year and I, I hope in the next months and we look at some ways that we'll even increase this to the, to the International Mission Board. But that's why in December at Christmas we take the Lottie Moon Christmas offering because we're celebrating the son of Abraham that takes the gospel to the nations. You see, in this genealogy here, you've got, you've got sinners, you've got good kings, you've got bad kings, you've, got, you've even got some Gentiles mixed in here. I mean, Ruth of all people. But you know, they, they they are not sons of Israel. They're not they're they're not in that line of the race, but they're in the line of the Messiah. I, I've already, you've got women in here. I've already mentioned that, that that's very unusual in a genealogy to put that. But here you've got five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus by Matthew and, and they're not all that good. You've got Tamar, who's a seducer and an adulteress. You've got Rahab, who was a public prostitute. I mean, she, she was a harlot. You've got Ruth, who was a stranger from Moab, a Moabias from that was a Gentile from other nations, other generations. You've got Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the, the one whom David committed adultery with, whereby his son was born. You got a collection of women, some more collection a harlot, a seducer, and an adulteress, and a Gentile, a stranger. Four women that you would never expect to see in the genealogy of the Messiah. There they are. And then you got that fifth woman, Mary. Oh, Mary. Mary, the loveliest of all of them. I mean, Mary, the one who said, let it be unto your servant as you wish, the one who... Now, Mary was not without sin. I mean, when you read the, the Magnificat of Mary in and Luke, and, and, and she's told that she's going to carry the Son of God, uh, she's going to be the very mother of God in a, in, a, in a right sense. That could be used in the wrong sense. But in the right sense, she's going to carry in her womb the Messiah. And she says when that happens, then, Lord, let it be done unto your servant as you wish you almost get this idea and some have gotten the idea well she's perfect she's without sin uh, and they've even built it into well she must have been conceived uh, in a virgin also that's not biblical at all but she is a submissive grace filled woman who came to know God in in a very intimate way because of his choice and his work in her life Mary by whom Jesus was born. It's amazing that Matthew even in verse 16 avoids saying Mary the mother of Jesus. It's Mary by whom Jesus was born who is called the Messiah. Good kings, bad kings, Gentiles, prostitutes, adulterers. You know what that says to me? It says to me that the grace of God overcomes a multitude of sins. It says to me that the grace of God is not hindered by your sin or my sin. The grace of God is not stopped. It's not not sidetracked. It's not short-circuited by whatever we are. The grace of God can touch us and bring us to repentance and bring us to faith in Christ no matter who we are or what we are or what we were. says so you don't have to clean your life up to be able to come to Christ. Christ does the cleaning up. Christ, Christ does by His grace the cleansing and by His blood the redeeming and by His life the saving. This genealogy is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the son of Abraham and the Son of David, and he's the Messiah. In reality, this very subtly and very implicitly, this genealogy at the very beginning of the Gospels is pointing to the cross. It's pointing to the, the sacrifice each of these that were especially the jewish ones in this line who were either kings or or potential kings had the kingdom not been destroyed all of those that we see there are are looking at are looking ahead by sacrifices they all offered sacrifices of, of bulls and lambs and and pigeons and and other things to to try to say this is the atonement of sin and yet they're all pointing to the fact that the true atonement, the real atonement, the real sacrifice the real substitute is yet to come and in verse 16 there he is Joseph the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born Who is called the Christ. Who is called the Messiah. Who is the promised one of God. Advent. Christmas. I think we sometimes forget. We get so caught up in the gifts and family events. And I love family. Love to be with family. But being with family and getting presents and even giving presents is pittance compared to the real meaning of these next four weeks. Folks, we're to celebrate the coming of the King. We're to celebrate the coming of the Redeemer. We're to celebrate the one who came to give life when there was no life. We're to celebrate the one who called us out of darkness and into light and out of death and into life. We are the one who is our Redeemer and our Savior and our Lord. That's really what this is all about. And so we light a candle. And we'll have four more. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll light the Christ candle in the middle. And each week we'll think about, this week we think about his coming and his family order earthly speaking, but realizing in reality he's from God alone. He's God's gift to be a sacrifice and to be a substitute that we, the worst of sinners, might be be made right with God you may be sitting here this morning and you say well I'm not right with God and I'm afraid my sin is too great I'm afraid my my lifestyle in the past has been too horrible look at the genealogy folks adulterers violent drunken kings harlots nothing too great, the grace of God cannot cover, that faith in Jesus Christ cannot erase and forgive for all time. Let's pray together. Father we bow in your presence. Acknowledge you know God that you are the risen king. That you are the everlasting God. That the glory is to be yours alone. That you sent your son and you called him Emmanuel which means God with us, God among us, God present with us and your name is majestic and glory filled Father as we've just skimmed over the lineage of the king we've seen the grace of God help us Lord know that grace in our own lives every day Father, I pray for men and women who may be here this morning and are not believers. They've never trusted Christ. They don't know the joy of, and they don't know the, they don't know the reality, the cleansing of Christ. I pray, Father, you touch their life right now. I pray, Lord, for others whom you're leading to be a part of this fellowship, that you would make that clear to them today. Lord, they would make that commitment today. Father, while they there are others that just need to say, Father, I've tried to do it myself, and I'm, I've become legalistic, and I become moralistic, and I, I just want to know the freedom that comes in Christ. Father, do your work in their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name.